Thank you for leading us in that worship. Um, so appreciate it. So excited to be together on a Sunday where we're seeing people say yes to Jesus in the waters of baptism. Good morning, Central Heights, here in the Worship Center. And those of you that are in Nickel Hall, good morning to you. We're going to continue a series today out of Nehemiah. So if you want to take your Bible and turn to chapter 3, I'm going to read aloud some of the verses of this chapter. And you're going to be incredibly gracious to me as I do. You'll get it, starting in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel, and next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zachar, the son of Imri, built. Verse 3, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshullam, the son of Bechariah, son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Banna, repaired. Verse 5, and next to them, the Tokites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Verse 6, Joida, the son of Passia, and Meshullam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Verse 7, and next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranathite, no relation to Mennonites, the men of Gibeon, and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Verse 8, next to them Yaziel, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. I'm going to continue for a few more. Verse 9. Next to them Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them Jediah, the son of Harumpah, repaired opposite his house. And next to him Hattash, the son of Hashabniah, repaired. Melchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Just a couple more. Verse 12. Next to him Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters, go girls, Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. I'm going to stop there. If you see in your Bible the rest of the chapter. Yeah, thank you. You're very gracious. If you read the rest of the chapter, you wonder from this text, can, what could we get from this? Well, this morning I want to give us three sort of headlines that we're going to cover you and what you do matters to God. When practical work is worship, and thirdly, we all have a work to do. How, the, how can this be from a list of a group of people and a list of names? Well, let me introduce us to the, to the, to the section. In Seattle, my family and I, we go down there every once in a while, and there's this tourist destination, much like Granville Island, called Pike Place Market. Uh, there's shops of every kind, there's street vendors, uh, you name it. There's the original Starbucks is there, and there's a, a place called Pike Place Fish Market where you have to be careful that you don't get hit by flying salmon, because what happens is a worker will be amongst the big crowd and somebody will pick out their selection amongst the ice, the, the slippery fish that they want to take home with them. So the worker in the crowd will take that fish and they'll all scream and yell and then he hucks it to the guy behind the counter 
encounter. And yeah, people love it. And it's made the place famous uh, for people to go see. They want to experience that. So at Pike Place, there's all these people and there's so much to see around you. But if you look down and you see where your feet are walking, you'll see that you are walking on these ceramic tiles that have people's names on them. People's names. Back in 1985, there was a renovation plan that they had to resurface the area, the ground, of the Pike Place Market. And what they did, for $35, you could buy a tile and have your name engraved on it. And so you could be walking along, um, you're walking along in Pike Place Market, completely oblivious to what's beneath you, but you're walking on people's names. And for people that bought those tiles and for those, those families, those tiles, those names are important to them. Uh, Harris Hoffman, who was executive director of the Pike Place Market Preservation and Development Authority, he said he would even see people come with toothbrushes to clean up their tiles every once in a while. He says they were moved by their tiles. Why? Because the names on those tiles represent a real live person. That's important to someone. So know this, as you're walking on those tiles, then the naming may, the naming may mean absolutely nothing to you, but to someone else, it's extremely important. So as we look at this passage in Nehemiah, I'm going to suggest that you and what you do matters to God by what we read. The biblical text we are looking at has a lot of lists of names. If Ezra and Nehemiah are considered to be one book, there's three or four lists in the book of Ezra. There's about seven or eight lists in Nehemiah. Names matter to Ezra. Names mattered to Nehemiah. And now when you think of that, of all of Scripture is written by the inspiration of God as people wrote, God was working through them, the logical conclusion is that names matter to God. Every person listed matters to him, and it is pointing to something that we all matter to God. You've probably been to a, like a high school graduation where a friend of the family or someone that you really care about, maybe it's a family member, where they are graduating. And some of these high school graduations, I mean, they have like hundreds of people that are graduating sometimes. And yet, you know, you've got, you've got the person that you're there to cheer for. And so, you know, maybe they're halfway through the alphabet. They're like at the M or the N. And so you don't really need to pay that much attention at the beginning as, as the graduates begin to walk. And, you know, one by one, they hear their name read. They receive their diploma and, and people cheer for them. And you're not paying that much attention at the beginning till you get to the letter of the last name of the person that you're there for. But when, when their name's about to come, you start to to pay attention and then you hear their name called and then if you're anything like my family, you make a complete scene and you scream and you yell and you holler and you may have signs and you may have banners because you really care about that name. See, God, we need to understand, God has the capacity to know and to care about each individual on this planet. He knows every detail about every person. He knows everything about you. We read in the New Testament, he knows every hair on your head. Now, to some of you, that's exciting. Others, not so much. 
He knows every detail about you. Now let that sink in. Don't just think, yeah, I know God knows that person beside me. He knows me. He knows me completely. We read in Psalm chapter 139, David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. It's so hard for David to comprehend. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it, it's hard for us to comprehend too, isn't it? That God could have that kind of intimate knowledge about me when there's so many people on this planet. That God could notice me? David goes on in verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. Not only David matters to God, you matter to God. In this chapter in Nehemiah, people are noticed and they are named and they are recorded for what they did or what they did not do. So in particular, how they participated in the building of the wall. Now, why is that important? Well, let's just do a recap again of, of, of what this story is about. Nehemiah was back in what was, what was Babylon, now conquered by the, the uh, Cyrus and the Persian rulers. And there he hears about how Jerusalem is doing. The walls are broken down. The gates are destroyed. And, and that's... For a Jew, that's, that means so much because a wall was a, a protection for a city. A city was indefensible without a wall. It protected it from animals, the elements of the weather, also gangs and certainly enemy nations. Any city without a proper wall was a disgrace. It was shameful. And because Jerusalem in particular represented the center of worship for the children of Israel, it was shameful for them in, in, their, in their relationship with God because it, it appeared to proclaim that their God was, was defeated, that he was unable to protect his people. He was weak. So when you think of Jerusalem's broken down wall, you need to think of more than just the physical. Think of the well-being of God's people and the glory of God's name. This is, is what at stake when Nehemiah hears this. Should the wall be rebuilt? Absolutely. Verse 4 of chapter 3 is it's beginning to name those that are in the building of this wall. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Mehazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites, repaired. The names are recorded throughout this chapter, one after another, with one exception, to show that people, they made contributions to the building of the wall. And to me, this is so encouraging. We heard last week that we can never do something to earn a right, right relationship with God. You do not work your way to establish an identity with God. It is given to you by faith. And then what we do becomes a reflection of what we already have through a relationship with God and his grace towards us. But now we see that this gracious, loving, forgiving God also cares. He sees and he commends right behavior. This is good news. It means that what you do matters to God. It has purpose. 
It has meaning. Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. Can you see what's going on? A man's good work is being commended. It's being noticed by God and recorded in his scripture. Now imagine if you're in school, whether it's grade school, high school, university, and your teacher gives you an assignment and you, like, you just you just bust it. You put an all-out effort into it, and you, and you do your research like you've never done before, and you, you spend time agonizingly, meticulously crafting the words so that it's compelling, like you've never written such an amazing thing, and you hand it in, and you think, man, this has got to be a 95-plus, and, and, and you poured your blood, sweat, and tears, and time, and energy into it. You hand it in, and it's never marked never paid attention to. You get nothing, no response. Imagine a boss whom you work for, you shift after shift, you just pour out, you give your best. You know, you've even gone the second mile, you've done things for your boss that went over and above, and, and yet you've, you're never acknowledged, you're never praised, you're never thanked. Nothing. Throughout scripture, we are told that our actions matter. For good or bad, in the sight of God, they have consequences. They are purposeful. He sees them. You read it in the old. You read it in the new. Ecclesiastes 12. As the writer there wrestles with what, what is life all about, in the end, he comes to this conclusion. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We read in 2 Corinthians from the Apostle Paul in chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And at the end of, the, end of the God's story in Revelation, we read at the very end about the great white throne of judgment and there's these, these books are, are mentioned. We're given a picture of these books and everything's written in it. And then there's also a book of life and whoever's name is not written in the book of life is cast into a lake of fire. That's the picture it gives us. But every person is judged by what they've done, the deeds that they've done. What does that do to us? Well, I think it should place in us a rightful soberness. But for those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ, because of their faith in Jesus, they have this gift of grace whereby their names are written in the book of life. And we know that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has dealt with our sin, as we've already heard today. He's dealt with our sin. And Jesus Christ has become our righteousness and taken care of the bad stuff for us. Then we should, as joyful children, we realize that the good things that we have done have significance before God. And so in 2 Corinthians, just before this, in verse 9, Paul writes, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. As a parent, when your kids are growing up and, and they do something and, you know, they, they yell out, you know, daddy, daddy, look at me. Mommy, mommy, watch this. And they're, they're doing something that, that's cool and good. And as a dad or mom, you go, oh, way to go, so impressive. And you just, you just praise them. And it's just this joyful exchange of your child doing something. And, and they're, they're wanting to see that you delight in it. And you as a parent, how much you delight in that. That's the joyful significance that we need to see with our, our, the things that we do in relationship with God. 
It's not that God is looking to see what he condemn, can condemn me about. It's completely different than that. He's created us. He's made us for good works. And God takes great joy and delight when we walk into those things. God is penning through this scripture. It's like the writer is saying, way to go, Merimuth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz. You helped rebuild the wall. Way to go. I'm writing it down. Way to go, Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, son of Mehezabel. You made a contribution. And maybe indirectly by including the, the dads and the, the grandfathers, he's saying, way to go, Meshezabel. You grandfather, you did a great job. Look at the legacy that you've got. I noticed, God is saying, in generations after, you are going to read this as an example that is commended and then we read at the end of verse 5 in this list of people who contributed to the well-being of God's people and his glory about the city of Tekoa. Their nobles, it said, would not stoop to serve the Lord. This is when practical work is worship. Their nobles would not stoop the Lord. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean would not serve the Lord? I thought we were talking about building a physical wall here. I thought we were talking about stones and mortar and physical labor. Serve the Lord. Like, what, what does this have to do with serving the Lord? Now, some people take this as referring to Nehemiah, but the common Jewish understanding was it referred to God, that they would not stoop to serve God. So even if they wouldn't stoop in their mind to serve Nehemiah, we know from this book already that God is in this. This is God's work. His favor is on Nehemiah. But there was this certain group that wouldn't humble themselves to do this kind of work. In our North American context, sometimes we like to separate things. So, you know, we consider what we do on Sunday morning, going to church, like that is our, that's our God time. That's our spiritual time. But what goes on the rest of the week, like our recreation and our work? Well, that's, that's different. That's our, our time. But we need to think differently. We need to think that everything we do is in service to the Lord and can be for his glory. That's the picture the Bible paints we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 even. It says, talks about even how we eat, that it can be done for God's glory. Ben Witherington, who wrote a book called Work, A Kingdom Perspective on Labor, said God is not just interested in our religious activities. He wants us to know the purpose and worth of all our work. So everything in your week, 24-7, all of it can be done for God's glory. Nehemiah 3 begins with this. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. The sheep gate was on the northeast corner. And when you read at the end of Nehemiah 3, it ends with the sheep gate. And so there's this like rectangular um, picture uh, that, that the writer is painting. He goes counterclockwise as he recounts who built what, who did what. And he walks through the city in a counterclockwise way, beginning at the sheep gate and ending at the sheep gate, which I don't think is, is coincidental. See, the Sheep Gate was close to the temple. It's where the priests probably would have lived. It was the place where animals were brought in for worship, for sacrifice. The physical, the Sheep Gate, facilitated the worship. See, the vertical, the worship, 
doesn't make the horizontal unnecessary. It gives it significance because it all becomes worship. Next Sunday, we're launching the More Campaign. And yes, it has a lot to do with like physical uh, bricks and mortar and physical changes and how we're going to raise the resources to make that happen. But what matters first, and I've often said this, as we enter into this phase of physical rebuild, what matters first is that we are a people who are engaged vertically with God, that we are people who are passionate about worshiping God with everything that we are and everything that we do, that we're in alignment with how God wants us to live our lives. See, when we've got that right, then the physical, and only then the physical, becomes extremely important because it facilitates what God wants to do here in this place. Then Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brothers. They built the sheep gate. And then it says they consecrated and set its doors. That's worship language. Consecrate. Well, we're talk- like we're talking about doors. We're talking about beams. Do you see it? All of life, all that is, can be dedicated, can be lived out for the purpose of glorifying God. The physical becomes a tool for the glory of God. It all matters. So the person teaching, like I am this morning, the people that are leading us in worship, that matters. And maybe it's more obvious to us. It's so vertical, that matters. But so is the person manning the soundboard. So is the person fixing the boiler room during the week. So is the person that's fixing the fence of a neighbor or coaching a soccer team out there during the week when it has the purpose of bringing glory to God. It all matters. And it all can be for him. When you look at it from that perspective, when the church is not in the place where it should be, when our world is not in the place where it should be, where there are things that still need to be fixed, still things that need to be repaired, there is work to be done and there is glory to be given to our God. We all have a work to do, verse five, again at the end of the verse, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. One of the most tragic things is not to be part of what God is doing. One of the most tragic things is to be unemployed in service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, this is a thing. We are all building something. We are all pouring our time. We are all pouring our energy, our efforts. We are all focused on change somewhere in our lives. What are you building for? What are you building for? The rebuilding of Jerusalem's wall for the glory of God and the well-being of his people. And God was in it. This was God's doing. And so he works through the heart of a king, Cyrus, and causes him to be generous and favorable because God is in it. What is God in today? What is he doing today? I'm going to suggest that God is building his church. And I suggest that we know that without any shadow of a doubt because that's what he's told us in his word. When the disciples are walking with Jesus and one day he asks them, you know, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father. And he said, on this rock, on this revelation, and on you and your ministry, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus will build his church, and the gates of hell will not be prevailed. Do you think he's still building? Do you think God is still at work to build his church in here, out there, working to see more followers of Jesus Christ, working to see growing followers of Jesus Christ? So as we think of how the people in Nehemiah's day got involved in the work of God, let's see some of the parallels for us now very quickly. Verse six. Joida, the son of Paseah, and Meshelam, the son of, you know, they laid its beams, yeah. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranothite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah. What's so interesting about this little section of verses is there's a couple other places. These people were not from Jerusalem. You get that? These people are not for, from Jerusalem. They are not building for their own city, their own village. There's no self-interest in here so much as the glory of God. They're not going to personally necessarily benefit from this. I think about this sometimes in our consumeristic mindset where we ask, what's in it for me? How will I benefit? These people were building for the glory of God made me think of our early risers group. Like we have people in this church that have been praying for like 30 some years every Wednesday. And when you, when you spend some time with them and you listen to who they're praying for, like they're praying for missionaries around the world, some that they may not see for five years. Like they've got no personal benefit for, for them to be engaging with their energy, with their prayers for these people. But they're building Verse 8, next to them, Uziel, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. For some of them, they were engaging in a work that might have fit their skill set, but some of them weren't. So we, we read these verses, goldsmiths, I mean, would building a wall, would that be along their, their skill set? Mm, maybe, but not the perfumers. I mean, come on. What do perfumers do? I mean, I don't even know how they make perfume. They work with spices and oils. and Like, that's what a perfumer does. They're probably like, uh, you know, they got little softer hands. And What do they know about building a wall, about slapping rocks together and pushing stones uphill and, and, and doing mortar? I, I had to laugh this last week. Our, our staff, we've done this spiritual gift survey. And um, one of the gifts... How did this get in there? It was craftsmanship. And I scored one point. I got one point with craftsmanship. So, and they even laughed at me in the office. So here's the deal. When we think of the perfumers, we think of the goldsmiths, and they're helping to, to build the wall. There are times in our lives where we engage in a work of God that doesn't necessarily fit our passion and our sweet spot, but we do it because it's the right thing to do. I think of how often churches struggle with uh, getting enough people to serve amongst their kids' ministry because so often we think, well, I don't have a passion for that or, you know, I don't have a skill for that. I couldn't do that. But is it a good thing? Is it a right thing to build into our families, to build into our kids? Like, does this have eternal value? 
I think I can do this for a season. And I build. Verse 9, next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Harumph, repaired opposite his house. On the flip side, there was those that Nehemiah strategically placed in the place where they would be most passionate, right outside their own house. Do you think they knew this made a difference for them? I marvel sometimes as I hear people's stories, how God has taken the difficulties in their life or the tragedies even that they've experienced. And he, through that, he's brought them to this place of redemption where thou, that now has become this, this place of ministry for them because they're so passionate about what God has done in their life through that place of pain and hurt that now they just want to bring God's redemption to other people in those areas. Some of you will remember this last fall, we had Patrice from Africa here with Gain and how in his youth he was in these horrible circumstances of place with, with lousy water and, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ and then through what he'd experienced in his childhood is now in this place where he's bringing living water in more ways than one to people and communities in Africa. God does that. Maybe the difficulty or trial you're experiencing right now is setting you up for a work that God has for you to do that's going to make an eternal difference in the future for the glory of God and the well-being of his people. Everyone has a work to do. That's what you get out of this passage when you read the whole chapter. Everyone whether they're gifted or not, whether it benefits them immediately or not, everyone is invited into what God is doing. And everyone needs each other. There's a common phrase um, throughout this chapter, next to, next to, next to. You get the picture of this unified team, this unified group Everyone knows they have a work to do. Everyone knows it could never be accomplished on their own. Everyone knows the wall is only as good as everybody doing their job. Imagine a great wall, a beautiful, a beautiful wall built, but this 200-yard section not done. The city's still completely vulnerable. Everyone has a work to do. Our world has problems. Our city has problems. The church needs building. The size of the task can seem so insurmountable that we do nothing. We just need to ask the simple question, what is my work on the wall? What am I called to do? What am I building for? The Pike Place market that I talked about earlier 35 years after the replacement of new tiles, some of those tiles now are crumbling and disrepair, and they themselves need to be replaced. They weren't eternal. But I'm going to say to us this morning, what Jesus is building is eternal. To work with God in his work is eternal. 
And it's something that we are invited into, something that God sees, something that God commends, something that God rewards. Is there anything better to be building for than the well-being of God's people and the glory and honor of his name? Let me close in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and I know I personally, Lord, marvel again that you take notice of me. And I know that is true for every person in this room, every person watching, every person listening. That you are a God, Lord, who sees, you see every one of us. Lord, we're amazed by that. We're amazed that you love us. We're amazed that you gave your son for us, that we could enter into this relationship with you. We say thank you, Lord. We worship you. And Lord, may our worship be reflected in the things that we do, Lord, pointing to your awesomeness, pointing to your glory. And that way, Lord, may we build things that remain for eternity. Because of your grace, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.